Would you please remain standing as I read this morning's text from Proverbs chapter 1. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? And fools hate knowledge. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. You may be seated. This recently discovered colony of penguins is unlike any other. (laughs) They don't need to huddle together every winter for protection against the bitter cold because these little fellas can do something no other penguins can. Well, they fly thousands of miles to the rainforest of South America where they spend the winter basking in the tropical sun. Our kids can be dismissed at this time. There's uh, great stuff waiting for them down the uh, hall. And I I have to, right off the bat, uh, derail us and say, you know those uh, years where the Sundays in one month are exactly the same Sundays as the month prior? That's, this year is not one of those years. And so February the 14th is not February the 14th. It's February the 11th. So, rewrite everything that I said in your brain, and February the 11th is the second Sunday in February when we will do all of that that I just talked about. Okay, now, uh, we just played a video about flying penguins, and some of you are on to me. Some of you, see, for a, a, a half a second last week, some of you gave spaghetti trees a chance. But you have given up your simple-minded ways, and this week you are not in the world going to believe that penguins can fly, even if the BBC says that they can. You are no fool, good for you. Okay, well done. So we are spending a few weeks in the book of Proverbs and looking at uh, characters in Proverbs, because the characters in Proverbs are going to help us as we shape the character of our life. And so last week, we began the character of the fool. And if I could give you just a a short recap, uh, a fool is someone who is out of touch with reality. A fool is someone who, at the very same time, should know better. So somebody who is out of touch with reality and should know better. And so we talked about a fool, spiritually speaking, being out of touch with the order that God created the world to have, and also out of touch with the brokenness of this ordered world. And so if we go back to 
the book of Genesis and to the, the, the very creation account, we can actually see the order that God stitched into the world. Uh, so God creates, right? It's, it's he, he, he is the one that, that creates. He's, so he's over everything. He creates the earth. So the earth is under his authority. But God also creates us. He creates men and women and, and he gives them authority and dominion. Dominion is the word that is used over the earth he created. So the order is pretty easy to see. We have God at the top, we have us, and then the earth. That's the order that God has ordained. Now, here's why this is important, because we get our very identity from the creator who is at the top of the chain, who fashioned us, and specifically from this order that he set in place, we get our identity. Uh, God fashioned us as creatures with a built-in compa- uh, a compulsion to worship. And to worship just means this, uh, without going into a whole sermon, it just means to give worth to. Worthship is what worship is. When you, when you clap for somebody after they do something spectacular, you're giving worth to them. And in a very small way, you're worshiping what they've done. And so we worship lots of things, right? Everybody worships something. That is the truth. But as believers, the ultimate worship that we give is to the God at the top of the list who is responsible for all things. And so look what happens then when we get that order reversed. When we begin to worship the things on earth as if they were ultimate things that only God is. When we forget the true order When we worship things that have been made instead of the one who made them, then the order changes. It looks like this. We go, earth, humans, God. That's what happens when we get the order out of order. We give our ultimate worship then to created things, created things like like sex or like substances or, or people or ideas. And the reason that that's destructive is that then we begin to shape and build our identity on those things. It is true that we become what we worship. We become what we worship. And so maybe, maybe you have some good looks. Maybe you have some talent of some kind. Maybe you've had some success. Maybe you have some sort of reputation that you like. If you build your whole identity on any of those things, then at some point there will be a breakdown. Why? Because created things in a broken world don't last. The looks will fade. The success will fly away. The reputation will get tarnished. If my whole identity is wrapped up in being able to throw a baseball 95 miles an hour, then my identity crumbles to the ground the minute that I can no longer throw 95 miles an hour. And that minute absolutely will come. Created things that don't last were never intended to give us our identity. But oh my, don't we look to to those things for it. And when we lean on them in that way and they don't come through, we we find ourselves moving from created thing to created thing, and we're always searching for the thing that will complete us. And then we wonder, we wonder why we are never satisfied with who we are. Proverbs 17 says this, the discerning sets his face towards wisdom, but the eyes of a fool, the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. 
Do you see that? The eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. The fool is always looking to the earth, to created things, to give him ultimate meaning. And it won't work, it never works, because the order is wrong. Looking to a broken world to save us means that we're out of touch with reality, that we're out of touch with God's created order. And just by looking around at at all of the miraculous order that does exist, even in this broken world, we should know better. And so we're going to put the order back and we're going to say God is at the top like he should be. And when we say that he is at the top, he is the ultimate, he is where I draw my life, he defines who I am, he's the one who gives me worth, he's the one where I find love and acceptance and salvation with my identity squarely founded on God, then guess what? I don't have to look to any created thing anymore to justify my existence. I don't have to prove myself anymore because in God, I already have everything I need. Proverbs 28, 26 says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. Let's stop there. Do you you realize that your own mind is part of the created earth? And when you look to your own mind, Proverbs is saying, you're a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. See, when we don't get that order right, We become out of touch with the reality of the world when we should know better, and it's then that Proverbs gives us the label of a fool. And so with that idea of of what a fool is, that was a little recap maybe from last week, a little different angle that we took last week, but a fool is someone who is out of touch, who should know better, and out of that question, we ask this question, what kind of fool are you? What kind of fool am I? Because the reason we ask that is that there are primarily three kinds of fools that Proverbs talks about. And each type of fool is out of touch with reality. They're just out of touch in different ways, and they should all know better. So to avoid the influence of foolishness in our lives, it's important that we understand all three of these types of fools. The first fool is the simple fool. And the, the Hebrew word is pethi, it's translated in one version as naive. And last week we summarized the simple fool by saying this, a simple fool is someone who is simply fool. A simple fool is someone who is simply fool. Being, being a simple fool doesn't have anything to do with a certain level of mental capacity. Instead, it's a mental outlook. Uh, the simple are just not willing to do the work of reason. They, they remain like children in the things that they believe, and so likely they then believe whatever truth they are told first. Uh, the simple fools are like the kid in a, a Shel Silverstein poem. Uh, maybe you've come across this. It reads this way, Teddy said it was a hat, so I put it on, and now Dad is saying, where the heck's the toilet plunger gone? That's the simple fool. How about two more kinds of fools today? Because we covered the simple one last week, the stubborn fool. Uh, This is the fool in the last line of the text we read at at the top of the sermon. Uh, The word is kaseel, but also there's another word in Proverbs, uh, the word avil, and, and they're both translated as fool, and they both mean this same thing one who is stubborn, one who is dull, one who is obstinate. Proverbs 15.5 says, a fool 
despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. Now, that verse is super helpful for us because it talks about instruction in, and, and what fools do with instruction, and it gives us what then becomes the essence of what it means to be a fool, and it is this. A fool is someone who cannot take criticism. A fool, at the end of the day, is somebody who cannot take criticism. A fool shrugs off instruction. A fool knows everything already. A stubborn fool uh, is only concerned with their own opinion. Uh, a stubborn fool has everything lined out already, and, and words to the contrary are met with, this, with, with just rejection. And this idea is great because it gives us a way to know which kind of fool we tend towards. Uh, because we all lean towards one kind of fool. Uh, every kind of fool has a problem with criticism. And the difference is how they respond to it. And so, as we talk today, maybe, maybe one of the questions you should ask yourself is, how do I deal with criticism? How do I deal with somebody who pops up in front of me and challenges me on something, uh, maybe with a truth that I absolutely need to hear? How do you respond? When somebody does that, I want you to watch because uh, we'll find this, that the simple are crushed by it. They're devastated by criticism. They don't even want to hear it. They don't want their feelings hurt. They fail to learn anything because they value their feelings more than their character. Proverbs 1 says, for the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. So what do the stubborn do with criticism? Here's what they do. They dismiss it. They despise it. That's what the verse that we read uh, earlier talks about. They write it off as dumb. Uh, the crazy thing about this kind of fool is that the stubborn fool's mistake is actually the mistake of being inflexible because they already know the way. They already have the answer. And anyone else's opinion on the matter is just a waste of their time. They are stubborn fools. A while back, there was a, a psychologist, a child psychologist from Harvard who did a study, and what he found was across 36 cultures, they found exactly the same thing in kids, that every kid, no matter what culture they were from, is born with a temperament. And this psychologist says there are three. There are three of them. He says you could see the three different temperaments at work when a child responds to a threat. And these are, these are with us from, from the very start, every one of us. Some people, when they're threatened, have an anxious response. The anxious say... Uh, some circumstance pops in front of them, maybe a bear crosses the path, or maybe they, uh, somebody pops up in a dark alley, and the anxious person um, comes to something like that that is uncomfortable, and their response immediately is, I got to get out of here. That's the response of an anxious person. On the other hand, some people are wired exactly the opposite. They are built for aggression. And if they have the same circumstance, maybe a bear pops up or somebody in the dark alley, uh, their response is different. Their response is, is not to run, it's to attack. Their thinking is, I need to get that threat before it gets me, okay? Those are people with the aggress aggressive temperament. There's a third category that research found, and, it, and we could just call it the optimistic camp. 
their response to a threat, whether it's a bear or somebody in the alley, is not really to do anything at all. It's just to trust and to pray that things will clear up on their own, that there's no reason to get out of bed out of shape about this. This too shall pass. Surely this can't last forever. It will resolve itself, okay? And so there are the three kind of temperaments that we all fall into. Now, the fascinating thing about these temperaments that they found in every kid across 36 cultures is that you're born with one that will dominate the other two, okay? And the one that dominates the other two will never, ever, ever, ever in a million years be the appropriate response for every situation that you face. Can you all say, bummer? Wow, that's a bummer, right? Like, so in some dangerous situations, anxious types who run away, keep running, right, will actually survive while people who stay and fight or stay and hope will die. And on the other hand, aggressive types can do better than the other types when there's like a moderately dangerous situation and their confidence kind of says, I can do this, right? And it just happens to pay off for them. And optimistic types thrive in situations that are the least dangerous and have, they have the advantage over the other two types because where the other two types might fight or, or run away and they might actually make things worse, the optimistic person can withstand the situation. And so the point is that whatever your temperament is, the way you're naturally wired to respond is only a benefit to you when you encounter the right situation. And so part of maturity then is realizing that. Part of living a wise life if you happen to be an anxious person is to understand that sometimes you have to resist the urge to run away because that's what's best. Wisdom for an aggressive person is to realize that sometimes it's okay to run away. It's okay. And maturity for an optimistic person is to know that sometimes it's okay to to act by either running away or confronting. And so we we live in a world that tells our, our parents, just let your child be who they are. Now, That's a nuanced conversation, I understand that. Let them find themselves, let them go, let them know what's best for them. But I want you to understand that what the study means is that in this area of temperaments, if you just let your child be who they naturally are all the time, it's one of the worst things you could do for them. Parents have to intervene, and unless they do, A child's natural temperament will dominate them so severely that they will never learn how to operate in the circumstances that aren't tailor-made for their wired-up response. And so good parents will teach their anxious child, and they will say to them, sometimes you need to be bold. And good parents will teach their bold child that sometimes it's okay to be a little anxious. And good parents will teach their sunshine and rainbows child all the time that, you know what, caution is okay, and we should exercise it. I want you to look at Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. It says this, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. 
Uh, maybe some of you have heard of uh, Tim LaHaye. He's, he's actually written a lot that I wouldn't actually read. But, but he does have a book on the temperaments that, that is really good. And at the end of it, he asks the reader, what temperament was Jesus? Was Jesus sanguine or choleric or phlegmatic or melancholic? Or maybe, maybe there's some other uh, versions of that same idea that we, you know, we throw around here. Was Jesus a, a, an owl or a bear or a monkey or a deer? What was Jesus? And LaHaye's suggestion at the end of his book was that Jesus was the perfect blend of all the temperaments. He wasn't one, he was all four. He knew how to respond perfectly in any situation because he was perfectly wise. But you and I were not. You and I are stubborn fools. And we have one temperament that tends to dominate all of the others. And we have to learn sometimes to push that temperament down and elevate the other temperaments as circumstances required. And to do that, we need parenting from God. And we need parenting from our parents. And we need parenting from our friends. And that parenting is designed to happen best when we're in a relationship with God, when we're walking with Him, when we're speaking His Word, when we're opening His book and letting Him deal with us by the truth that we find there. We all start out as stubborn fools, and we need that driven out of us. At least that's what a psychologist from Harvard says. But actually, he plagiarized that. <laughs> because that's what scripture says, right? The last type of fool we'll take the time for today is the scoffing fool. You have the simple fool, the stubborn fool, and lastly, the scoffing fool. And all three of these are in our main text. Oh, long, how long, oh simple ones? There's the simple. Uh, how long, uh, oh scoffers, delight in their scoffing? scoffing and, and how long will fools hate knowledge? And you can see the scoffing fool in that second line. Uh, in the phrase scoffers who delight in their scoffing. Uh, the Hebrew word is lutz, and it's the idea of someone who mocks and scorns other people and all of their ideas about life. This is somebody who is so inflated with themselves, so inflated with their own outlook being the correct one, that they arrogantly scoff at just about everything. They deride just about everyone. Their speech is just a constant ridicule of people and ideas. And the reason we need to talk about scoffing fools is that scoffing fools rarely look like fools to us at all. It's very confusing, very deceiving. So who, who are they? Proverbs 21, 24 says, scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. And so look, look at what we're told the scoffer operates from. It's pride. Overwhelming pride. A scoffer is someone who outwardly looks incredibly smart, even, even savvy. They are very calculated in the areas of life that matter to them. And so in relationships, they operate to get ahead, even ruthlessly so. Proverbs 29.8 says, scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. Scoffers can be exploitive. Scoffers can be even abusive. The scoffer is the person that you might be friends with for a while, but then suddenly you're no longer on their friend list because they've moved on. They've dropped you like you're hot, right? And when you reflect, you realize that the reason is the relationship was never about them being your friend. It was about them getting what they needed somehow from you, and you didn't pay off for them anymore. 
And so scoffers will always sacrifice a relationship for their advancement. And as a result, scoffers usually do quite well. Scoffers usually have lots of success in their life, but that success comes at a great, great cost. Because all of the skepticism, all the scorn, all the ridicule, all the debunking that they do of everybody and every, uh, every idea leaves others uh, separated from them in the end. They have no one. They have lots of power. They have lots of influence. Maybe they even have lots of wealth, but no one to share it with. Proverbs 22 even tells us this. To, it says this, drive out a scoffer. Drive them out, and strife will go out, and quarreling and abuse will cease. It tells us to banish the scoffer. Now, let's go back to this idea of criticism. If the essence of being a fool is not being able to take criticism, and if the simple fool responds to criticism by being devastated, and if the stubborn fool responds to criticism by, by just shrugging it off and despising it, then the scoffing fool responds to criticism by returning it. The scoffing fool throws criticism right back where it came from. When they punch, when they get punched, they punch back. The scoffer gives back every bit of criticism they receive. Proverbs 9, 7, and 8. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. They're going to punch back. Do not reprove a scoffer, verse 8, or he will hate you. Steve Martin said this, before you criticize a man, walk a mile in his shoes. That way, when you do criticize him, you'll be a mile away and you'll have his shoes. And that's not bad advice when it comes to giving criticism to the scoffer. Like, make sure you're far away because the scoffer is out of touch with reality because he only values his own well-being. He only values his own advancement over the people in his life. And the scoffer if he ever realizes at all, will realize only too late that God created us for relationship. But relationship for the scoffer was never the goal. It was never the end. It was just the means. And so the scoffer misses out on the one thing that God created him for. And the scoffer ends up an utter fool. Actually, it's even worse for that, for the scoffer, because in the end, uh, this great axiom of the universe, uh, we reap what we sow, comes true. In the end, the scoffer who just throws back criticism all of his life, in the end, the scoffer will face the ultimate criticism. Look at Proverbs chapter 19, 29, condemnation is ready for scoffers. And then Proverbs 3, 34, toward the scorners, he, who's that? God. Toward the scorners, God is scornful. God will give the scornful fool a spoonful of his own medicine at the end. Now, the unnerving part about today is that none of us would readily label ourselves fools, right? We, we didn't walk in here today saying, wow, I wonder what kind of fool I am. And yet, I have stood up here and told you that you're either simple or stubborn or scoffing. And so now, all of a sudden, you can begin to see yourself gravitating towards one of those types of fool. And that's not happy news. Aren't you glad you came to church today to be told you're a fool? 
Like, that's awesome. Thanks. And so as we feel not so great about ourselves today, let's, let's end with this. How, how do we avoid this? How do we avoid being fools? And our, our, our first response in, in spiritual matters, no matter what they are, especially this, is goes something like this. If, I, if I'm a simple fool, if that's how I gravitate, then, then man, I'm going to try harder not to get suckered anymore. And if I'm a stubborn fool, well, you know what? I'm going to walk out of here. I'm just going to get really good at learning to take criticism. And if I'm a scoffer, I promise I'm just going to keep my mouth shut for once. Right? We think if we just try harder, then we can avoid being a fool. I want to point you to the book of Galatians, and, and this is a book that we went through uh, its entirety a few years ago. It's still on our podcast um, page. You can look that up and, and listen, listen through it. But in, in the book of Galatians, Paul writes to believers who are being told that real Christians, here's what real Christians, here's what saved Christians do. Actually, they're saved by Jesus, yes, but they're also, also saved by their own efforts at being good and moral. And Paul writes to them about this situation, and he says, what you're doing is turning away from the gospel of grace, and what you're doing, if, if it can be done at all, is inventing a new gospel. See, what they were believing is, I'm going to obey the laws of God, and then God will have no choice but to bless me and accept me and save me. And I want you to look what Paul calls them for believing this. In Galatians chapter uh, 2 and the very first part of chapter 3, it says, if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Paul calls them fools. You fools, utter fools. Oh my, you people that I love, you're being idiots. You're being fools. Paul's message in the letter of Galatians is that there's only one antidote to being a fool. I want you to see what he says, even in this verse. He says, it was before your very eyes that Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. It means that the answer to all of the foolishness in our lives is the continual proclaiming of the good news of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the answer. See, the Galatians are fools because they think by living up to the law of God, if, if, if that were even achievable, it means that they can win salvation by their own efforts. And in putting the focus on themselves, now what ha what's happened? They're out of touch with reality. They've lost sight of the one event in all of history that can make the broken world right again. They've lost sight of the cross. And they should know better than that. Jesus' death, where he took our place and gave us his righteous robes in exchange for our worthless rags, that event has now made us sons. Now we are children of God. Now we are heirs to his eternal kingdom. Now we are the opposite of fools when we trust in the cross. We are wise. The further we get from the gospel of Jesus and his cross, the more foolishness that begins to set in to our lives. And so do you want to be wise today? Do you want to escape being a fool? Then here's what Paul will write. You have to be a fool for Christ. 
Last week we put this, this is where we ended last week too, 1 Corinthians 3, 18, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. The reality is today is everyone is a fool. It's just a matter of what kind of fool we will be. Will we be a simple fool? Will we be a stubborn fool? Will we be a scoffing fool? Or will we be the Savior's fool? That's the question. To be the Savior's fool today, we have a, we have a young man that's going to come and be baptized in the second service, and um, I'm going to let him show us the way today because he is an example today of how not to be a fool. He's going to come in repentance. He's come, coming today saying, God, I was a fool. <laughs> I, I was out of touch with reality. I, I repent. I want to turn my life around from my foolish ways by turning it over to you. I want to turn my life towards the sun. He's going to come today in faith. He's going to come today with the belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the world, uh, Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the one who has paid for all of his foolishness on the cross. And he's going to come with that confession for his church family and to God. And he's going to come to the waters of baptism today. He's going to come where God does his work to forgive sin and give his spirit and make us a part of his family forever. And all of that, all of that is what it means to begin the journey of embracing the foolishness of the cross. You will never be wise until you become a fool for Jesus. Is that you today? We're going to stand and sing. I'd like you to uh, go ahead and stand right now. And as we sing today, if, uh, if being a fool is something that you want to cross off your list and fall at the feet of Jesus, would you come as we sing?